With more than 200 accredited courses and more than 1,000 videos, the Police One Academy is a powerful online solution that provides department training programs with features that reduce time spent on records and policy management, credential tracking, and more. It is law enforcement training made simple and effective. For more information and to get a 30-day trial, visit www.policeoneacademy.com forward slash policing matters. Hello, and thank you for clicking, and thank you for listening to Policing Matters, the Police One podcast. I'm Doug Wiley. Hey, this is Jim Dudley. Jim, research from Force Science Institute uh, reveals that in order to get the most accurate and detailed information from an officer after they were involved in a shooting or another high-intensity event, they should be allowed a recovery period of at least 48 hours before the interview is conducted by, say, internal affairs or any kind of criminal investigation. And then... Further information from Force Science tells us that the way in which the interview is conducted has to be very different from when you would be interviewing a, say, a witness, a victim, or even, a, a, God forbid, a, su- a suspect. It's a very unique type of interview. They call it the cognitive interview. Um, it probably has other names, but it's a, it's a very, very structured, if I, I don't want to say it's structured, but a very specific way in which the questions are asked, the officer is approached, um, because a lot of times... In, in, in these incidents, they're treating the interview as a memory test, and it's not a memory test. You're just right. trying to get as much information as possible about what that officer saw, felt, heard, smelled, and what they did. Um, and in doing that in an adversarial fashion, you're going to get less information. And I do definitely think that a period of rest is one of the things that... Uh, should be folded into any uh, officer-involved shooting investigation. What do you What do you think? Well, I think I think that personnel, of course, are the most valuable resources in any agency. But it's not always apparent by the way we treat some of our personnel. Sometimes, um, I think in an ideal world, um, to have a, a rest period um, would be awesome. But I think in in the reality world. Uh, the, the heads of departments, heads of agencies, the, certainly the political body of a city or, or a county um, are beholden to the citizens for uh, transparency, uh, an immediate report of what happened. Uh, that's, that's not always helpful. I mean, we've seen it backfire two ways, by delaying information to the public for days, weeks, months on end on what actually happened. And then we've seen some uh, reaction, uh, quick fire reports of what the the chief or the PIO thought happened when in fact they got it wrong. And then it looks like a cover up or it looks like you're lying to the public. So both strategies can backfire. I think you you have to have a a pretty good policy in place. You've got to follow it. Uh, You've got to get the input from all your stakeholders on what's expedient, but what's safe. Um, what's who do you protect? You, you protect the personnel. Um, you do a transparent, thorough investigation. Maybe you get an outside agency to come in. But the stakeholder group has to include the, the police union, the police officers associations. Uh, because you've, you've seen there, there's good case law uh, on shooting investigation, officer involved shooting. I was in an officer involved shooting and by the the most part 
the investigative portion of the investigation was awesome. Mm. Uh, I had two experienced homicide investigators leading the case, uh, took me back to headquarters, interviewed me and my partner, uh, took photographs of our injuries, our torn clothing, uh, got our statements, got the statements of witnesses that were nearby. but you have to you have to take into account there are issues with perception versus reality. Yeah. That there are chemical changes within the the shooter or the the active participants in the shooting. Uh, so many things that that might um, distort reality that you might only be able to confirm later from other witnesses from body cam or dash cam video. Right. And it, it may be contradictory to what the officer says. That's got to be taken into account during the investigation. Absolutely, and you know. The, the body camera sees probably 180 degrees. In an officer-involved shooting, your full-field vision is really, really narrow. You're seeing three degrees, yeah. probably. You're seeing, and that's why the barrel of the gun you're staring at looks like it's the size of a trash can. Sure. And you know, and there, there are effects of adrenaline, you know, onto the memory. So you can you can remember something that absolutely did not happen, and 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 swear on your you know on the Bible or on your mother's grave or whatever, that that's what happened because that's what your perception was at the right. time. And so you have to take into account in order to have that more complete set of information, you know, rest, it's scientifically proven that rest enables memory consolidation and memory and, and recall itself. Yeah. You, you will have less misperceptions 48 hours after the fact because you've had some rest, you've had something to eat. You've been taken through the scene. You've you've been able to maybe view your body camera footage. Mm -hmm. There are different schools of thought on whether or not you should be viewing your footage before or after your statement. It's personally my thought that you make a preliminary statement, you view the video, and then you make another statement. It's evidence. Why wouldn't you look at it? Right, exactly. You know, there's There's other things that I think go into not just how you interview, but how you treat an officer after an officer involved shooting. I read an article a little while back about a guy who had been in a shooting and was kept on a cold curb for five hours. No one ever talked to the guy. Yeah. You know, I mean, for me, the, there's certain things you have to do after a shooter, uh, shooting incident. Number one, you got to have someone there with that officer, buddy officer, whatever you want to call it. Someone who's present, someone who can lend an ear or not, but someone who can be there for the officer. You need a cup of coffee, whatever. Next thing you got to do is you have to have a visit to the hospital. Make sure you document any of your injuries. You may not, because of your adrenaline, you may not even know you're injured. You might have, right. you might find out days later and look at this, where did I get this giant black and blue mark on my thigh? Um, you know, and again, the effects of adrenaline on the perception of your injuries. So you have to do that right away. <laughs> and you got to make sure that, you know, that you're treating the officer like an officer. You, if you have to take their gun, of course, for evidence... Give him another gun. Give him a replacement gun. Exactly the same kind if you can, but if that's not available, something else that'll do. So he can protect himself when he goes home. Sure. I think that that's the very least um, kind of SOPs for a, an officer-involved shooting incident. Do you have any others? Yeah, well, so so definitely uh, the gun's got to be examined for modifications, trigger pull, ammo. If it's a department gun, there's there are all kinds of things that, that have to be tested. Um, but yes, give a replacement gun. Uh, 
mandatory time off, mandatory psychological counseling. Peer officers are great, like you mm-hmm. just said. Mm-hmm. A behavioral science unit, if you have one, either through your agency or through your city or town. Um, a return to work plan so that officers are not hanging like they're guilty of something. Right. That there's a three-day investigation. You'll get the results of your gun exam. You'll get a return to work panel. You'll get a return to duty uh, checklist where you go and you review your use of force guidelines. Mm-hmm. You go back to the range. You fire your gun. I mean, these are all things that get the officer confidence, get them acclimated back to using a gun. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen some situations where I was hesitant to send officers back to field duty for fear that they uh, hesitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're if second guessing themselves second in, guessing. in advance of the and fact. I'll tell you, yeah. I, I don't know any cops that want to go out there. They're looking to shoot somebody when they get, when they happen. If you get involved in a shooting, depending on your background, your everybody's different. There's guilt. There is second guessing. There is constant recall of the situation leading up to the shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, what could you have done differently? Um, so all that is in the in the mind of, of officers to, to some varying degree. Uh, you want to get them back with a mindset. They're going to go back to patrol. They're going to be back armed. They're going to know the policy. They're going to have fired the gun. And they're going to be fully equipped to go back on patrol with no hesitation or no aggressive tendency to, to say, hey, that last shooting was good. I'm going to shoot even quicker next time. Mm-hmm. So, so you don't want somebody going out there who's hesitant, uh, who's maybe not so confident. And you don't want to send somebody out there with this you know, John Wayne uh, syndrome that, hey, worked for me last time. That's going to be my first resort. You don't want that either. No, you don't. Um, There's a lot of research and um, information out there, um, particularly from Force Science Institute. Um, Various doctors uh, have looked at the the effects of adrenaline on memory, um, the way in which the brain recalls things, the the perception issues that have to be taken into account and accounted for when you have disparity between, say, video evidence and the statement, the officer's statement. There's a lot of information, in the, and it's important for particularly the investigators out there who are who are investigating officer-involved shootings to become more familiar with some of these issues that. If you're trying to get the most and most most accurate and most detailed information from a, a, an interview or from the investigative process, you know that there are things to be taken into account. Where, you know, you, you can't just jump to the judgment that the first thing you think of or the first thing you hear um, from the officer or from from a video is what really happened because right. it, it could be could be, but might necessarily not be. Right, right. And, and, and in researching the topic, uh, I came across a really good um, trifold uh, pamphlet. If you are developing or you're taking another look at your agency's officer-involved shooting protocols, uh, go to the uh, copsusdoj.gov website. Uh, there's a great officer-involved shooting investigative protocols guide for law enforcement leaders it's a it's a cooperative uh, document put out by the cops office and the IACP, the International Association of Chiefs of Police. We want to hear from you. Um, what are your policies and procedures to handle um, the interview process, the investigative process, um, and just things that you do after an officer-involved shooting? 
uh, whether their policies or their, their procedures or what have you. We want to know what you guys are doing out there. Send us an email to policingmatters at policeone.com. That's policingmatters at policeone.com. Thanks again for listening.